everybody. This is episode 257 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Network. Uh, I'm joined today um, just by Ryan. Something happened in Madison that took James away. I, some news thing. I don't even know how big a deal it is, honestly, but he can't do the pod. So um, you know, James does new stuff in the city of Madison itself. So that's why he's not here. Um, but you get the two of us. And honestly, you just need the two of us to do this particular week of news, <laughs> so that's probably fine. So, uh, joined by uh, Ryan, as always. Ryan, how are you doing? So, I went to the last two Brewer games, if that's uh, an oh, indicator. Yeah, so I was there on, on Saturday night when they they managed to just sort of barely... Wait, no, they lost on Saturday night. Yes, they lost on Saturday night, they lost on Sunday... What am I thinking of? Oh, they yeah, they won on Friday, the game I didn't go to. <laughs> yes, that one. It's, it's been a long couple days. I had uh, some serious cat issues. Uh, he broke a tooth. And so, oh, he broke uh, a tooth. Okay, I was talking about that. Yeah, so he broke a tooth. And so we, were, we spent Friday night and my wife spent, uh, or sorry, Thursday night and then Friday morning. My wife went back. Uh, so she spent that at the animal hospital trying to figure out why our cat was acting extremely strange and had blood all over his paws. Yeesh. So yeah, so uh, that was that was Thursday and Friday, and didn't really feel like going to a a game after that. And yeah, it's just it's uh it's been a hell of a week, like yeah, really has. really ugly stuff, including uh, an orange tarp on Saturday morning that was unfortunate and uh, uh, and annoying. So just really everything about this week has been terrible. Yep. Uh, while you were at the game, did you see any like uh, Spanish? cardinals um converting heathens or anything or <laughs> no, okay. no no uh, nothing like that i spent the whole weekend at a soccer tournament i kind of feel like i'm still at it right now so uh it, it was so I, I never mind where i live it was in a town 40 minutes away which is just far enough to be annoying like you know if it was like many hours away for travel sports it would have been a day trip and hotels and stuff like that which is annoying too but a different kind of annoying this is like you drive there drive back it's an hour and a half and you do it again the next day and uh yeah so mm-hmm. um probably a lot like being at the last two brewer games just you know a different kind of painful yeah i mean it it very much is like emergency dentistry like i kind of want to switch places with the cat to be quite honest like <laughs> uh all right so moving on from pain um so if you'd oh, like, I help- mean, we're not moving out from pain, Paul. Like that's <laughs> that is what this episode is going to be. Well, okay, so. more pain, more pain coming. But first, <laughs> if you'd like to help support us, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash mke tailgate for as little as two bucks a month, and that'll get you question priority on all the podcasts on the network, including uh, my other one, reporting as eligible. And uh, everybody always has lots of questions for reporting as eligible. If you want yours read, it's the best way to get on there. Uh, so go ahead and do that. For five bucks a month, you uh, get your question. You get question priority as with the two dollars plus uh, a few exclusive exclusive podcasts, including the minor league extra with Ryan and James Anderson from RotoWire. Um, Ryan, do you have anyone coming up soon? I actually do not know. You can tell me right now. Yeah, we will have one coming up soon. Uh, I was sort of waiting for the regular season to end for James yeah, to be able to. Uh, yeah. Everybody's got more time after that. So, um, all right. You also, of course, get the reporting as eligible mini pods. And if I do say so myself, we've been on quite a tear lately. Uh, essentially, called things in the last two games specifically, including mm-hmm. Christian, including Christian Watson scoring on a jet sweep this week, which did in fact happen quite early because the Patriots are weak against them and the Packers exploited it and and a lot of other things as well, including how the Patriots' defense would play and 
some weaknesses that they have and didn't have and how they might go after the Packers, which they did. All, all kinds of good stuff. If you listen to that, you were very well informed. So uh, go check that out on our Patreon site and uh, you know sign up for those stuff, for those things, for all that good. Yeah, what, James, you need to come back. Anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, the title of this episode is just Come Back, James. <laughs> yes. All right. Uh, so um, this this week uh, it needs no introduction. Honestly, um, the Brewers had fan appreciation day this weekend, <laughs> and they decided to show their appreciation by losing three of four to the ninety-two loss Miami Marlins. Frankly, kind of a joke of a franchise, all but killing their postseason hopes. Uh, their elimination number after today, after we record this on Sunday, is one. It's like the magic number, except it's the opposite. So if they're going to the playoffs. They need to sweep Arizona while the Phillies get swept at Houston, which is, you know, stranger things have happened. But no, that's not very likely to have happened. Knowing the Brewers, they'll drag it out till the very last moment and then lose <laughs> in some craptacular fashion. But, you know, this is where we are. So um, over the last couple of weeks, we were all kind of feeling resigned to this happening. And boy, were we right. Uh, but it's hard to think of a more demoralizing way for it to happen with a couple of late inning bullpen meltdowns, which have become common lately. You know, before the offense missed chance after chance after chance after chance on Sunday to actually keep this thing going. So, uh, Ryan, how's your general sentiment on things as they stand right now? They're pretty damn Bad, awful, bleak, <laughs> frankly. Awful, yeah, terrible. like it's it's not good. Things are things are terrible right now for the Brewers. And yeah, I mean, it's fine to let it hurt for a little while. This is <laughs> uh, this is the first time that they're going to be missing the playoffs in five years so it's it's fine to just you know be miserable about it for a while i think that uh you know especially the way that the season started things looked so good things looked very promising and then you know took a a pretty big nosedive in the uh in the the sort of the middle of the season and then towards the end though honestly we we've talked about this and you can go back to the Brewers had a nine game losing streak, and that was in early Ju- in early June. So really, you know, things there have been there have been problems with this team ever since they got off to what was it the best fifty game start in franchise history, and that entirely was entirely true. Yeah, I mean, so basically, once you get towards around the end of May, the team has been not great since then, uh, well under five hundred. So, I mean, I don't think we can be particularly like shocked by it. It's just. We did keep waiting for it to maybe turn around, and you thought, well, if the pitching is all healthy, and it looked like for a while it was getting to be that way, and that maybe, you know, that was going to be a thing that was going to happen, especially in, like, mid-August, and then everybody got hurt again, and so we went through sort of these these false starts and these bits of, of hope, and it was just, it's one of those years where, you know, kind of everything that can go wrong did go wrong, um, and just wrong enough to lose games. (laughs) <laughs> That's really the the part of it. Like it wasn't like they were. This is not a, a bad baseball team. They're just like frustratingly, uh, insanely mediocre. And they lose in a very specific, annoying way. Like they they keep they keep you around. They hook you. They keep you close. They keep poking at you. You know, um, it, they they don't get blown out too often. Um, they're usually kind of hanging around and. It's just if they could get that timely hit or home run or guys on base um, or lock it down, they would have so many more wins and they just never seem to pull through on that. Or you're perpetually, I, I described it on Twitter the other day as this Charlie Brown ass team. Like they, they, mm-hmm. 
you know, they wake up every day with hope and then it just gets crushed every single time. We shouldn't gloss over that nine-game losing streak either because it really did kind of ruin the season. Uh, aside from the fact that it was a nine-game losing streak, it's why they have no tiebreakers. Right. Um, the, those first three games were to San Diego. The second three were to Philadelphia. Um, and then there's some Washington in there too, um, mm-hmm. which is, you know, isn't bad for any particular reason other than losing to Washington make puts you behind everybody else who never loses to Washington. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, and we talked about it last week, but that Washington team did still have Soto and Bell. And so they had more going for them than this morbid, awful team that we're seeing at the end of the year that's gotten rid of, you know, basically their only good players. But it it still wasn't that good a team. You're going to have stuff like that throughout the course of a season, though. It what what really stings about this is just that. They did get off to such a good start, and there was yeah. no reason to think that things were going to fall apart at that point. It Things looked really, really good, and when they did start to fall apart, at least we could see why it did. You look at when they that losing streak happened. It was when they were dealing with the fact that they had lost both Woodruff and Peralta, so two of their, their big three were down for an indefinite amount of time at that point, and they it had just sort of happened, and... I think that they were also a little bit shorthanded, maybe significantly shorthanded on the lineup. There was a time period in there where they were just missing a lot of guys, period. And they were running out some really funky lineups and just not having the guys that they thought they would have. And so when you get into that situation, that's how you that's how you go on a nine game losing streak in in a, you know, in a situation like that. But it it didn't really stop there. So. Obviously, nope. it just it kept going throughout the season, even though the lineup did get healthier. The pitching never really did. I mean, we're still dealing with like this last week. Adrian Hauser left to start early. You know, it been dealing with this these pitching injuries all year long. And it's been I think ultimately we've talked about this, too. It'll be the defining thing of this season once we're a little bit further removed from it. So I think that once people are looking back on this what will be remembered about it is the fact that that great starting pitching staff or the great pitching staff in general that carried them to 95 wins in 2021 wasn't anything like it was in 2021 in 2022. Yeah, it just wasn't. Yeah. Um, rubbing salt in the wound a little bit too, just later in the season is it does look like you know, haters always small sample size every single time you talk about him, but he had a he had a good last month. He had a good September. He seemed to turn it around, and you know, it could just be him getting lucky. Could be him finding his game again. But um, you know, we hypothesized a lot during the season that Hader was at least possibly broken pretty badly. Uh, and you know, he obviously had two and two plus months of terrible pitching. Um, but if they did fix him, uh, and if he continues to, I mean, pay a lot. But if he continues to be good next year. That's not going to look so good. Um, they could have used Hater down the stretch. He, if a good Hater, very likely gets them, if not in the playoffs, certainly still alive right now, um, and locks down a few games that they otherwise gave up. Yeah, but I mean, the question then is, how quickly would they have fixed him, and how much damage would it have done in August? Uh, because he was a complete and utter disaster area in August. A, he had a 16 ERA in August and a .98 ERA in September, so it was... You know, you got to live with the bad there, too. You're right. Yeah. It's and not like at a time when the team was kind of falling apart in all facets at that point, uh, I don't know that he he certainly wouldn't have been the thing that made that better. 
that wouldn't have uh, he wasn't going to be the reason that like they were going to be successful in that time period. So uh, I think that he would have found himself out of the closers role. Devin Williams would have been closing anyway. So I, I don't think that really would have changed. I think we still would have seen that. Hater maybe works his way back into leverage by the end of the year with the Brewers. But I wonder if Devin is a, as big of a freaky weirdo if he takes the job from Hater versus Hater being dealt away. Uh, I do wonder that. Like, I feel like he might be less of a big baby about the whole thing if that's how that went down. But you know, that's speculation. We'll never know. Yeah, and like I think it's important to note as far as Williams goes that like. He was really, really good after the trade for the most part. The, the his numbers in post the the Josh Hader trade, pulling them up right now here. If Baseball Reference would stop giving me all these stupid pop up <laughs> ads. ads, good yeah. lord, you guys are really terrible about this right now. They have very bad ads right now. Yeah, it's as someone who lives on the reference sites, it, it is not good times for everyone. Yeah, it's like you're going into the postseason where you're going to do most of your traffic, and you want to like take advantage of that or something. I don't know how dare they try to you know have a business. <laughs> uh, uh, Devin Williams post the Josh Hader trade had a 2.57 ERA or has a 2.57 ERA at this point. 21 innings, 30 strikeouts, 11 walks. Walks are high. 11 walks in in 21 innings is high, but he's generally a fairly high walk guy. Like it's part of his deal. He balances it out by like allowing very few hits and very few and a ton of strikeouts. So that's yeah. what gets him around. It, his OPS against since Josh Hader got dealt is 534. Okay. I mean He's been basically an elite pitcher since the moment that that happened. It's just been in some really key situations, some very high profile things. I feel like it's why does it feel like it's happened on every Saturday night? Like he's, you know, when when more people are watching than just, you know, some random Tuesday or something like he seems to have these problems in times like that. And it's it's a Kirk Cousins issue. Yeah, <laughs> it's a yes. We'll, we'll go with that. All so right, cool. It's it's just one of those things, but he has been very good, but it is it is weird and like there have been some some ups and downs. We have more on this coming later. Like it I I I want to save that for later. That sounds fine. Um we do have quite a few questions and they're all going to be about the season. Sh- shall we just get to those and and answer away? Let's do it. All right, let's do it. Um so moving on to our Patreon questions uh first. Uh, and who better than Jay Google to kick things off with just how stupid is this season? <laughs> well, Jay, <laughs> this season is extremely stupid. Just uh, so stupid. We were having a discussion about this. Uh, Steve and I went to the game on Sunday afternoon. God, what a stupid idea that was. Um, but we uh, we were having a discussion about, like, is this the most disappointing season since 2014 or 2012? And I think that they're disappointing and frustrating and awful in different ways. If you want to go stupid, it's very hard to beat 2012 because 2012, the Brewers led the National League in run scoring and had a really good rotation. Like for the most part, Randy Wolf, that was his bad year. That was kind of he was cooked (laughs) at that point. But they had three guys who, if I'm doing my memory on this right, who had over 120 innings. Sorry, they had five guys who had over 120 innings and. Uh, an ERA under three seven five, and so they're they're starting pitching, very solid, like top to bottom, a, a very solid group, and then 
the offense leading the league in runs scored. Yeah. They also had a historically bad bullpen that just destroyed their chances. It seemed on a nightly basis. There was a run there in June and July where it was as dumb as what we've seen in you know August and September of this year, where anytime they had a close lead, they found some way, usually stupid, to just lose it and blow it. And they they ran through a whole bunch of different relievers in the closer role, from Axford to K Rod yep. to God. Jim Henderson was in that group. Like Cameron Low, eighth inning guy. I remember that very well. Oh yeah, I mean that was oh. Can't was that that? Was I have it pulled that up year? in front of me. Oh, okay, okay. So, yes, it was. That was that year. Okay. <laughs> I mean, so they just went through so many different things. That season was probably a, a just about as stupid as this season, just because of you know, the way that it, it gets undermined in such stupid, awful, repetitive ways that you just get so sick of it and. Much like this team, I actually look back at that bullpen, and if you look at the ERAs throughout that bullpen, they're not actually, for the most part, horrible. They're bad. They're not, like, good ERAs. They're all about four and a half. Right. They're not, you're not seeing guys out there, like, running up, like, six ERAs. It's not that. What it was is anytime they had a one-run lead, they gave up two. That's, that's what this was. And if you go look at win probability added and do a search on, on, uh, on fan graphs, it is historically bad. That Brewers bullpen, in terms of win probability lost, is one of the worst in baseball history. They just managed to, every time, every like I said, every time you had a one-run lead, they gave up two. Like, that was just yep. how they, they rolled that year. And so yep. this year's team feels a hell of a lot like that. Yep, indeed. Um, uh, that team's offense is so beautiful. Um, the the only weak spots in it were Gene Segura, who was not good that year, and and Ricky had kind of a down year, although he wasn't useless, just not as good. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, they really should, one game over front. What a stupid year this. You're right, this is a dumb year. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and it, well, part of it too was they pulled the plug. The reason that Segura is on that team is yeah. because he's traded for Grinky at the deadline because they realized they were out of it. They weren't going to you know, be in a run here. So they, they decided to deal Granky because he was an impending free agent. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they made that decision. And I guess that, you know, I guess that sort of tracks with the, the Josh Hader of it all, too. So I guess we can bit. draw parallels there. Uh, the 2014 was a different sort of awful because <laughs> we all felt that they were sort of uh, like, I, I certainly felt throughout the that time that like, this team isn't really this good, are they? As they were building up like a five, six game lead in the NL Central and held it for like the entire first like five months of the season. They had over 150 days in first place that year. And then it all like came apart together at the same time in just the spectacular like supernova of crap at the end of that season. And then they just completely fell apart and fell out of it. Um, in 2014, it was a different yeah. sort of awful than what we saw this year, like it, and and a different sort of frustrating as well. And also that very much felt like the end of an era. That one really felt like there isn't what what do we have going for us at this point? There just isn't that much left to to salvage and to build around going forward. And that was true because, you know, they get off to a terrible start in 15. Ron Renicky gets fired. Doug Melvin says he's going to retire at the end of the season and they start stripping the team, you know, apart and actually made a lot of really good moves over that summer to put mm-hmm. themselves in position going forward. 
Yep, indeed. I'm surprised this team wasn't better on offense. Um, just looking at their sort of OPS pluses across the board and some of their bench players, um, they were not good at run scored this season, and they got outscored by seven runs on the season. But I feel like their offense should have added up to more. Um, just I don't remember this season that well, but looking at their offense kind of reminded me of this profile because there's a lot of average um, and not a lot of not average. So that, that that's the only thing I'll say for it. Well, they were sort of built around two really, really good position players, and they weren't Luke, necessarily... Lucroy is one, though. And well, Lucroy and Gomez. Around. Yeah. And those guys were really good. Well, Lucroy, I believe that he ended that year with a concussion, and so he was in and out of the lineup late yep. and missed a lot of time. And Gomez went into a complete and utter offensive tailspin at the end of 2014. Yep, he did. I remember that. Yeah. I remember that very well. So that one, like, we're like contextualizing this... It's definitely the dumbest season the Brewers have had since at least 2014. I would argue 2012, but like you have to go back that far to have a season that was like this stupid and just awful from a, a fan experience standpoint. And I feel like, especially like 2014, people got to have a lot of fun for the first five months and then like had their their hopes and dreams crushed in September but this year was like there were so many different things from the very beginning where at first it was the offense and how terrible they supposedly were and then it was because they weren't scoring enough runs to to help you know out this spectacular pitching staff and then it was all the pitching injuries and then it was the the hater trade and then it was the bullpen collapse and you know, like so you have all these different things happening in the season. That feels more twenty God. That you may even have to go back before twenty twelve to find something quite like that where everything kind of took turns falling apart at various yeah. points. That's that's just, you know, not something you see all that often. I'm just shocked at how few home runs they hit in twenty fourteen. Like I think of this season as being a big offensive downer and geez. Gomez led the team with 23 home runs that year. Yeah, that was also pretty much the peak, though, of the dead ball era, because it was in 2015 after the deadline that the first juiced ball. That's the juiced ball break. Comes in in the second half of 2015 is when the juiced ball pops in. And people noticed it right away because all of a sudden the home run (laughs) rates like the two weeks after the all-star break, people started talking like they were talking about it on uh, effectively wild. And I believe that was the summer that Ben and Sam were with the stompers, but they started talking about it pretty much right away. And we're like, something is definitely happening here because the home run rate has spiked and it went like before the deadline to after the deadline, there was this huge jump. And so, yeah, you have, to, you have right. to go back a long ways to find something this dumb. Got it. Even so, um, that's still pretty rough. Like the Cardinals had a guy had two. They had Johnny Peralta hit thirty eight, and Matt Holiday hit thirty seven, and um, you know in that park. Whereas we're sitting there with twenty three and twenty two from uh, from Gomez and uh, big dopey guy who we had that Mark Reynolds. Yeah, <laughs> that's uh, not fun. Don't miss that. All right, um, that was a long answer to Jay Google's question. So very stupid is the answer. Um, uh, let's, let's knock out a couple that are in the similar vein from Sean, uh, Mecklemeal like it. Uh, why do the mm-hmm. Brewers want to like this? And we'll, we'll just lump Price Trozen in there too. Oh no, he actually has a substance. So why do the Brewers want to hurt me like this? It's, uh, because they're very focused on, um, uh, on the X golf implementation. And so they don't care about you, right? <laughs> While well, they yeah. get that running, uh, they're getting that up and running. They're making sure it's safe. For, uh, for pitchers to use without hurting their elbows and, you know, getting 
getting it ready for all the corporate people that are going to flood in there and uh, get them all this money. So that's why. Yes, they have definitely uh, scrambled the resources away from the pitching lab, and they're now working at the X-Golf facility yeah. to that's, analyze that's people's swings and whatnot. So yep. that is that is exactly why. I, I was just going to say, so I believe it is a, 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 a Buddhist philosophy that pain comes through, or sorry, enlightenment comes through pain, that you have to experience pain to tr- achieve true enlightenment. And so the brewers are just like trying to help us out by giving us this pain so that we can seek the enlightenment that comes after it. Uh, so, yeah, the brewers are just doing this for our benefit. Very generous of them. I mean, mm-hmm. not sure that's entirely correct about Buddhism, <laughs> but we'll move on before we I, get I was looking. I, I, yeah, I've, I see some quotes here. I don't want to directly quote because I'm not sure if they're legit <laughs> or not. They're, they're, okay. But there's, there's something there. Like, there's definitely there's something to that. And enlightenment coming through pain is definitely a thing. And, like... To be a little bit more serious about this, Jr. So your co-host for the uh, the podcast, the Packers podcast, was talking about this, and he said that you know it's kind of sucky to watch the the Mariners celebrate on Friday night. They have this you know huge obviously party when Cal Raleigh hits that walk off home run and they're headed to the playoffs for the first time in 21 years, and how exciting and awesome that is. And why can't the Brewers have that? And my response was, well. They did in 2008 and 2011 and 2018. And you don't get that all the time because that comes from there has to be some sort of a pain or a need or some sort of level of previous unfulfilled excitement that comes from it. So you can't just have that all the time. It doesn't work. It, um, I think it was Roger Angel in the, uh, in the Ken Burns documentary said about the Yankees once they the the mantle Yankees sort of uh, ebbed off the the stage and so they had that like 10 years of darkness at least by Yankee standards or whatever after mantle and before the you know, the free agency Yankees the Steinbrenner Yankees picked up and he said that you know winning is not a lot of fun when it just goes on and on and on forever and i think that there's a lot of truth in that and that like People don't you don't appreciate the ups until you've had the downs and the process of going through those when you're up, up, up all the time uh, with something that it just it it loses its luster and it just becomes like, well, okay, so how can we get better than this? And that's always difficult when you're doing what the Brewers have done over the last five years, which is to be one of the better teams in baseball collectively over the last five years. So they're not the Dodgers. They didn't win a World Series in this run. That's true. But they've been one of the better teams in baseball. And so, yeah, it, it's hard to reach that level of excitement all the time. Yeah, I kind of feel like until we actually win a World Series, we can complain all we want, um, having not actually won anything. There's a good Twilight Zone on the subject that you just mentioned, though, about a gambler who goes to hell who doesn't realize he's there. Um, so, <laughs> uh, excellent show. Needs to be more Twilight Zone. The world's better when there is. All right. Uh, Price Trozen. Uh, along the same lines, but with some substance. So, how about that Arizona Fall League roster, huh? Anyone? Anyone? Way to move on quickly. Appreciate it. Yeah. I don't know anything about the Arizona Fall League roster, Ryan, so all of you. Yeah, no. Uh, I'm definitely, there are guys here to be excited about and to be very interested. And actually, they're sending some pitchers here, some actual legit pitchers that are worth watching, which is not always the case in the Fall League because teams tend to not send their best pitching prospects there. And these aren't, you know, their best pitching prospects. These are guys that need some time because they missed 
uh, they miss time during the season. And that's kind of the case up and down this roster. But they're sending Tyler Black, who is a very interesting guy. You'll love him, Paul. Uh, almost as many walks as strikeouts. Awesome. Yeah, and also hits it. for some power up the middle. He's a second baseman slash center fielder and hits for some power. So, uh, <laughs> yep. So you will you'll like that. He's actually he's their number six prospect according to Pipeline. So um, Jefferson Caro, their number seven prospect catcher, uh, managed as a nineteen year old catcher to make it up to uh, uh, to high A this year. So he was playing in Wisconsin, and a nineteen year old catcher in high A is. Uh, is a rarity, you know, Jackson Churio being in double A at the end of the year. That's a, a huge rarity, but a catcher at that point, also a rarity, uh, their third pick, second pick, third pick last year, uh, Russell Smith, left-handed pitcher, uh, their number 20 prospect. He's there. Logan Henderson, another one of their Juco finds who has really emerged as a, a very interesting pitching prospect here. Uh, Abner Uribe, the guy who was throwing 102, 103. Uh, I think he may have flashed a 104 at some point. Um, he missed a lot of the season. Surprise, surprise, because he was hurt. Uh, he's going to get some extra run in the fall league to get some time. And then um, some guys that people may have remembered from previous drafts and whatever. Uh, Javon Ward was a was an expensive signing that they made in the teens a few years back. Xavier Warren, I think, was the third round pick in the 2020. So the COVID draft. Um and he's sort of a utility infielder that maybe was playing some catcher. So we'll see if he he plays some catcher there. Uh, but he's more of kind of a utility guy at this point who just sort of plays all over the field. So there are guys to be excited about. Obviously, none of the top top prospects like they, and that's mm-hmm. normal. You wouldn't necessarily send those guys. We did wonder if Churio might get a look, but the fact that he was so far beyond what he had done before. I mean. An 18-year-old playing a full season in full season ball is pretty remarkable in and of itself. Yeah, yeah. And just the fact that like he ended on a pretty down note in uh in double A. So I think they're they're wise to just say, hey, you need to take the rest of the year off now. And that's that's fine. That's perfectly acceptable. I'll check that out. All right. Something to watch. Should, should you need more baseball after this and not need a giant break to get your brain together? All right. Uh, Justin Sayan uh, asks, can you rank the top 15 most gut-wrenching losses of this season? Uh, just kidding. Actual question is, do you think there's a leadership gap in the clubhouse right now? Seems like whenever things go even slightly wrong, the team just falls apart, e.g. bottom of the ninth on Saturday. Um, maybe, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're going to know. But I, I can see that actually having developed. Uh, I think that those rifts do tend to happen when people get traded away, popular players especially. I do think Lorenzo Cain was a good clubhouse leader, um, despite being a little bit of a weirdo at the end of his career. I do think he is generally considered to be a really good guy, gets people hyped for things, and is a good chemistry person. And I think Yelich being sort of the star who isn't good anymore, um, that's not good for your clubhouse chemistry. It's good for your high-paid people in their primes to be both your best players and your leaders and it's hard for you know if you're struggling for two years it's hard for you to have any authority over anybody else in the clubhouse so um they've had i think pretty clear chemistry problems and i do think that there's not a guy you can point to as an obvious you know leadership guy so yeah it's probably a problem um i can think of like 10 gut-wrenching losses off the top of my head so (laughs) maybe put a list together but uh there's so many pools home run 
um, losing like two walk-offs to the Pirates, uh, that nine-game or eight, whatever, losing streak where they lost all the time. There's a ton, but yeah, mm-hmm. we'll... Yeah. yeah, I was going to go with the San Francisco loss where Hader just got absolutely murdered on that Friday yeah. night late in uh, San Francisco. So uh, that Colorado where they blew the, the five-run lead in the eighth. Um, yep, that was bad. And it happened in like eight pitches. <laughs> Perdomo, Perdomo gave up four runs at eight pitches. Like that one will stick with me for a long time. That one was truly horrific. Yeah. Um, as far as the leadership thing goes, maybe. Uh, it's hard to tell from the outside when you're not in there and like on a daily basis interacting with the team. And even if you were, you're still an outsider. Like you're still not like uh, a person who's like among the group. It's hard to tell. And there's also that old baseball thing about like, um, show me a team that's winning and I'll show you a team that has good chemistry most of the time. Right. Most of the time. And it, yeah, there's exceptions to this. There's, you know, the 25 cabs uh, or sorry, 25 players, 25 cabs, Yankees, yep. There's there's stuff like that, but those are generally the exceptions. And even those teams generally find ways for it to be at least productive. Maybe it's a mess. It might be a chaotic mess. People might hate each other. But like I know that those Oakland A's teams in the 70s had some stuff. There was conflict between people like Sal Bando yep. and you know, whoever like there people legitimately did not like each other for various reasons. But Sometimes that like can work as sort of a creative tension and things can still be okay. Like ultimately if everybody's still like working hard towards the same goal, that can be okay. Uh, this one just feels like, I, I don't know if, if as a fan you were experiencing it as one gut punch after another, I'm sure the players were feeling that even more keenly. Yeah, I'm sure they were. And so it, that gets difficult. And once that starts happening over and over and over again, I imagine it just gets to be tough. I would think that a lot of these guys are just ready for the, the off season and ready for that mental break and to just put this behind them. Um, so I don't know that like there's any one thing you can do. I don't know that you can say, okay, our priority this winter should be to go out and find the best clubhouse guy that we can. I think that part of the reason I say that is because we know that they have been fairly careful in how they have approached building this team, bringing in guys that they thought were good clubhouse presences to begin with, that they didn't want to disrupt it by bringing in maybe dis- uh, disruptive influences into the clubhouse, that they've, they have avoided that in the past. So I think that they generally have their finger on the pulse here, and I think Craig Council, the quote from, Keston, uh, not, uh, from Colton Wong last year about how he would run through a brick wall for him, tends to suggest they're generally pretty good at this. Yeah. So I, I don't know that I would be all that concerned about it. And I would I would think that whatever they do this winter, they will have um in their mind, that, as they always do, they will have sort of a focus on making sure that they're bringing in the right sort of people that they want to come into their clubhouse environment, as well as just like talented players. Makes sense. And honestly, we do, we never do know. It's just that we do, I feel like have we had some clues about previous leaders. And so I think we can at least intuit a couple things. But you're right. If they were winning, it probably wouldn't matter. Um, but uh, when there's a vacuum and you're losing, it, uh, it, it starts to crumble around you. And that does happen, too. So Yeah. Um, and there definitely were like a line of people who were lining up to take shots. You know, from Eric Lauer to Lorenzo Cain, like Devin Williams right after the trade, like 
people were airing their grievances pretty comfortably here. Yeah, pretty much out in the open. Yeah, um, which you don't like to see. Yeah, and so that was that is like one of the more disturbing aspects, and they probably are looking at that or. I would imagine they've that a lot of that stuff has probably long been addressed and smoothed over. I, I would at least hope so that that is the case. But I, I still think going forward, they're likely to, you know, keep an eye on this because I think they've always kept an eye on it. Yep. And usually good at it, but it can be a hard thing to fix when it falls apart. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, all right. Um, we get PJ Wessels uh, with a baseball football question. Always my favorite. Looking at recent Packers seasons that have ended in gut-wrenching fashion with early warning signs, there have been firings and changes after. Petten gone after 220. Maury Strayton gone after 2021. Um, can there be something similar after this season for the Brewers? And if so, what? Anybody getting fired, I guess, is the question. Yeah, I was thinking about this. And I think that they generally have had some turnover in their coaching staff, even when they've had really super successful seasons throughout this time period. So I guess like after 2018, they lost Derek Johnson after 2021. So the two years they won the, the Central Division, uh, they fired their hitting coach whose name is escaping me now. Um <laughs> That's what hitting coaches are for. Yeah. So, you know, and they then they replaced him with two hitting coaches. You know, shouts to Ozzy Timmons. So maybe there are some guys that that uh, that end up going here. But I also just don't think that, like, this is necessarily a, a thing that you that you you would do. And just looking positionally, like, I don't think that you go after the hitting coaches here because ultimately the hitting on this team um, has by and large been like better than what I think. Okay. Yes. Than what people expected. So I know there's a lot of questions about that and a lot of argument, but like the hitting, especially like these guys are in their first year. And so they, they didn't have like a disastrous season offensively. And would you really fire Chris hook? Because a bunch of guys got hurt. I mean, maybe, but that seems like the, their their whole pitching thing seems like so much more of like an organization organization wide philosophy thing. Where it's yeah. not just Chris Hook; it's just like Chris Hook is one of the lead guys in that. But it's it goes much deeper and organizationally than that. And so it just I, it it seems like it, it wouldn't make sense to just like scapegoat him and say, "Ah, oh, yes, you need to go." I'm kind of with you on the coaching because I do feel like the problems they encountered this year were much more of a uh, a player equi- like a, this is a front office issue more than it's an on field issue. They they did hits reasonably well with I would say a lot of guys who aren't that well like Rowdy Tellez had a good hitting year and was freely available and Hunter Renfro well, I guess that's front office win um, but had a like, almost a career year I think um, mm-hmm. a good Hunter Renfro season. Um, uh, and like we know Yelich's problems, you can blame that on the coaches if you want. But I think it's been going on long enough now that it's probably more of a Yelich problem than it is a coaching problem. Um, I think this is just dealing with imperfect pieces on the board. And um, it's a, that doesn't always work. We talked a lot when the, the Brewers were throwing out Jesus Aguiar and Eric Dames, uh, you know, successful reclamation projects that they got short term value out of. Um, that that works sometimes, but it doesn't always work, and it doesn't always. It's not always a position player thing either. Um, their their deep diving for pitching isn't always going to work either for every 
Pomerantz, there's a Rosenthal. And, um, you know, they're, they, they work like a small market team a lot of the times, and their spaghetti sticks sometimes, but it doesn't always. But that doesn't mean we should let the front office off the hook for it. Like, it's their job to make those work more often than they fail. And we can say things like, oh, you know, you get a bunch of guys, some of them will work, blah, blah, blah. Well, there should be more science to it than that. Um, you should actually have a better than 50-50 chance of having some some of these work out. And um, I, I do think they should take some blame for that. The other thing they should take some blame for um, on the front office level is a lot of the rule changes that have happened are were specifically to prevent the Brewers from spamming rules to win extra games. The uh, the 40-man roster reduction, uh, no, it was kind of unfair, but the Brewers abused the heck out of it. They were definitely a team that brought attention to it. Um, the three-batter rule is you know a baseball-wide thing of using a lot of platoon guys, but the Brewers abused the heck out of it. And the Brewers probably got something like an extra two to three to four wins by abusing the heck out of those rules in September. When those rules are here now, you can't do that anymore. You can't correct Ember anymore. And if you're the Brewers, you need to get three or four wins a different way. And if you're the front office, you have to understand that and you have to budget for it and you got to make it happen because those avenues are no longer there for you. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. And it is it does sometimes seem like the rules are being made to like keep the brewers from being the brewers. And they're not alone in this. Yeah, it's also to keep the rays from being the rays and and that sort of thing. So but yeah, that is that is frustrating and they have to figure out ways to move on and past this. And I'm kind of hoping that next year's rule changes that they will be ahead of the curve on those in figuring out how to deal with some of that stuff and that they will have some strategies and some things worked up. I'm sure they've already been discussing it, and they'll really get into it as we get into the offseason here, that they're going to start looking at, okay, what can we do to maximize our advantages, both pitching-wise and offensively, from the rule changes around the pitch clock and the pickoff throws? And actually, I do want to go back, because I keep meaning to, to bring this up. When we talked about the rule changes a few weeks ago, I said that there wasn't going to be a rule on pickoff throws, that they decided not to do that. And I was completely wrong about that. I then listened to a million podcasts, and every time I hear them talk about it, I'm like, oh, yeah, I screwed that up. <laughs> there is a limit on how many times you can throw over. You can step off or throw over twice. Twice, yeah. And when you do it a third time in an at-bat, that is a balk. And so the player will automatically be able to go. So you can throw over to uh, first base a third time. So it's allowed, but if you don't get the guy, he gets to go to second base anyway. So, yeah, there's that is that is coming, but that's going to present some opportunities for them, and hopefully they will be able to take advantage of that. And especially personnel wise, with some of the guys that they're going to have up and at the bottom of their their roster or at the bottom of their lineup, presumably next year, I think they will be able to take advantage of some of that stuff. I think we're going to see the Brewers perhaps really lean into being a running team next year because they're going to have the personnel to do it and because of the rule changes making it you know the go no go is going to be a a less uh difficult bar to clear that's true and they have been adding a lot of 70 plus speed guys um not surreptitiously but they have been i would say acquiring them pretty much on the surface um they've got a lot of fast guys that are almost major league ready and mm -hmm. you know plus mitchell so that makes a lot of sense yeah yeah between Freilich, joey weimer is a very fast runner uh yep. he can play center field and is is quite fast terang 
also fast. You you have a number of guys here who I think are going to run quite a bit. Isn't guy we traded for whose name is escaping me an eighty speed guy too? Esther Ruiz and yes, he, Ruiz, he stole yeah. seventy bases in the minors this year under these rules. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get ready. There's going to be a lot of running, and it's going to be coming primarily from the bottom of their order. So that's going to give fans at least something different, something more entertaining, even if. I do have my concerns, especially like breaking in how much some of these guys are going to hit, especially power wise. Uh, but on the plus side, they'll be running. So you got that looking forward. All right. Um, let's let's uh, kind of meld this next question into that one since it's right on point from Alex Maklica. I hope I said your name right. Um I feel like the Brewers' offseason is an interesting dilemma. On one hand, you have proven quality starting pitching, 2022 regression noted, uh, which with a more consistent offense could be a serious World Series contender. However, the pitching has a bit of an expiration date with Woodruff and Burns more likely gone in two seasons. Offensively, they have been using stopgap one- to two-year players, Sanzielich, since 2019, trying to catch lightning in a bottle without much success. If you are the Brewers... Do you hand over the reins to some prospects for like Weimer, Mitchell, Terang, and give them some run in 2023? Or do you try catching lightning one more time while you have the pitching and sign some more short-term free agents? I think you're going to do a mix of these things. I think of that, course. yeah, you're, you're going to look for, and we've talked about this before, so this is not a new concept that I'm running yeah. out there, but I think that, that what they can do is they can use the fact that they have some of this depth, especially in the outfield, that it provides them sort of a cushion to maybe be able to say, okay, we're going to get a, a, we can we can run through at least a bunch of different options in the outfield in a bunch of different formations, uh, and then if that if none of that sticks, if none of that works for twenty twenty three, then maybe we end up on the the trade market looking for an outfielder, and that would be perfectly fine and acceptable. If they do decide to go that way and say, okay, we're going to let a lot of these young guys play. That does open up the opportunity for them to potentially spend big on one guy, which is why we keep talking about like the Josh Bell thing or Jose yeah. Abreu, you know, guys like that who could potentially be a big middle order of the bat to supplement what their biggest weakness is, which isn't depth in their lineup. Their, their lineup depth this year was outstanding, incredible yeah. almost. Uh, it's the fact that at the heart of it, in the middle of their lineup, they don't have those big feared bats that you generally associate with good offenses. And I think perception-wise, that often led to people thinking the offense was worse than it really was, was yeah, the fact they didn't have those guys. I'll say that I, I think that that is true, but also that it does matter. Um, I think that stars are different than average in that um, you it does actually help you to have a couple of those guys in the middle, um, even if you give it up on the back end a little bit, just because it's harder to get through and it gives you a couple chances per game, even when the offense is down of just you know knocking a couple of home runs out that the Brewers had trouble doing, especially against good pitching. So, um, but, but I kind of agree with you. I think they do a mixed bag, and they they have shown themselves to be willing to pony up to fix holes. Like Hunter Renfro is not exciting. But he, he, he turned out to be really good, and he was an offseason acquisition. He wasn't enough. I think, you know, we, we shouldn't forget. They were, I think, we're counting at least a little bit on a Yelich bounce back. Maybe not all the way, but at least something. Prospectus projected him to be good. He still walks a lot. It's still weird that pitchers are afraid of him. And it just didn't happen. So um, I suspect as time goes on, 
that lesson's going to sink in a little bit. I suspect Yelich will not be projected to be particularly good next year by anybody, including internally. And when they run their internal simulations on things, they'll figure out that they have to fix that lost war as well and start budgeting for that because the writing's on the wall there. It's not coming back. Yeah, I think that they do need to do that. Well, it, and if it does, you certainly can't plan on it. So You cannot. It, it's gravy if it happens, but it, right. it ain't happening. Yeah, so I, I think that that part of it is fair. Um, let's just go on to the next question. <laughs> from Tom Haight, uh, where does the offensive improvement come from next year? It feels like the best offensive players, Rowdy, Renfro, Adamas, could quickly regress as they have glaring holes in their game or are streaky. Is next year just going to be more of the same frustration? I mean, I've been thinking about this a lot, and I think that there is a better case than a lot of people would want to hear right now uh, that you should not completely run back the same team next year, but that if you did run back the same team next year, you could likely expect significantly better results out of it. Now, of course, they're going to look to improve. There's going to be significant things that they look to do, adding uh, pitching depth, especially in the starting. Uh, They probably will look to add uh, somehow to bring in at least one really good reliever, uh, whether or I think not they, they really need to do that more than anything that really hurt them down the stretch. Yeah. So there, there, there are some things that they're going to target to do that I think are important to do. But I think that if you were to run this team back, I think it would be better than what you had this year in general. I think that the pitching is likely to plexiglass bounce back the other way at this point. And so I think that, you know, like a perfect example of this is the Colton Wong situation. And we've talked endlessly about this, but I mean, Wong is up to a 2.3 fan graphs war at this point. Uh, yeah. He's seven runs below average defensively in weird, frustrating, awful ways that you just can't quite account for. Uh, yep. it, it, it's been really bizarre, but I think that, now that he knows that that's a thing, that that this is something he needs to like improve on and work on, and like the defense really slipped this year, and I think it would be hard for him to not know that. I think it would be hard for anybody to not know that. That that will be a point of focus, and so he probably will have a bounce back year defensively next year. And he was a pretty good offensive player, all things considered. I just don't think that you can do much better on the open market with eight million dollars in your hand than getting Colton Wong. I think it's hard to do better with that $8 million than it is with Colton Wong. And they have significantly more than that $8 million to spend. So I just think people are going to groan and gripe about that. It's going to be a, like, if they do decide to pick up that option, which I I think they will, I think that is going to happen. People will groan about it, but I think it's the right decision. And it is likely to be a beneficial decision to them over the course of the next season if they do that. So... I'll also say, I think Adamus is likely to regress the other way. He had a down year um, for him. He's usually more a, a 120-plus OPS-plus guy, and he was uh, like 110 or something this year. He usually hits better than this. He usually gets on base better than this. I think he might actually come back a little bit. So I wouldn't lump him in with Rowdy and Renfro um, because, yeah, that's fair on them. But I, he's one of the more disappointing guys, even though he has hit a ton of bombs. He's usually a better all-around hitter, and I think he probably will be going forward. He's only 26. So got that to look forward to at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, yes. I would definitely separate Adamus from those two in that question. They're yeah. not in the same yeah category there. All right. Um, Luke Zimmerman uh, asks, 
The use of a six-man, six-day rotation for the starting pitchers was a novel was novel in 2021, coming off the COVID-shortened year. It also seemed to bring about better results from the starting pitchers compared to 2022, where the return to the standard five-man, five-day rotation has been done. Do you think that there might be? Uh, do you think that there might be thoughts of trying the six-man, six-day rotation in 2023? Yes. And we've already heard indications from, I think Stearns actually talked about this, where he said that we probably would have done it more this year, but we were so shorthanded yeah, that it was difficult to justify. I feel like they always had somebody missing, and I I think that they didn't do it more out of necessity. In fact, I think you can pin some of their five-man, five-day struggles more on the fact that they were forced into it by injury than the actual five-man, five-day rotation itself. The, the, the cause for the rotation is one of the reasons it struggled. Uh, but yeah, I think that they do like that six-man, six-day and having people fresh. Uh, I think it's one of the reasons that you also saw more typically, like Woodruff and Burns in particular, not get very deep into games. They, no, they, had a, they did it occasionally, but there were a lot of like four-inning Burns mm-hmm. and Woodruff. And I think that's one of the reasons why is just not that extra day as much as they are used to getting it. And it did wear on them as they ground through lineups. So um, I think that they, their preference is six and that they'll try to do that if they have the horses to do it. Yeah. And this won't be at all times because oftentimes you run through a, a part of your schedule where in a month you have five off days or something. And so you just really can mostly uh, let guys get that extra day just by virtue of the off days and you slip in a, a six starter here and there occasionally. And so you don't necessarily need to do it at all times, but especially when you're on a, and God, I hope this doesn't happen again this year, but when you're on a run where you're playing like 21 games in 20 days, <laughs> that kind of nonsense, that's where you really do hope to have it to give those guys that extra bit of buffer. And I think that they are more successful that way. And I think that chances are they're healthier that way too. So they're going to need to, and frankly, if they, if they go into the off season market saying, Hey, we're planning on doing the six man rotation thing, you know, by and large next year, that should help in recruiting another pitcher, knowing that like, Hey, there's this extra spot that's kind of up for grabs right now. And we would really love to, you know, bring in somebody who, you know, they've had so much success with guys like, you know, your Wade Miley's of the world back in 2018, bringing in Jordan Lyles. They've had success with these guys, and you'd like to see them do that again because it seems to be like a core competency that they have. It seems to be something they're really good at, and you'd like to see them take advantage of those things that they are really good at a little bit more. And I understand We've talked about it this year that it's hard to recruit guys to be the seventh man, the eighth man in a rotation and sit in triple A until, you know, two guys get hurt. That's a tough sell. There aren't many guys who are going to be like, yo, sign me up for that. Like, that's not that's not a really uh, engaging selling point for a lot of you know free agent pitchers who have something going for them and have other teams that are interested in them as well. So hopefully they can they can use that and play that advantage a little bit this year to getting, you know, a little bit better uh, class of signings of guys to be that depth. Yep, all makes sense. Um, Andrew S. asks, how do the Brewers fix the bullpen next season? Do they try to trade for an established high leverage reliever or are they just going to try and find some magic in another box burger like signing? Well, you already sort of alluded to this. Why don't you go first here? Because I think you already kind of hit on this. So, I, I first of all, I think this will kind of be a combination 
uh, of what they always do, which is uh, they will try and just you know vet the mediocres and see if they can find something to fix um, that on a bargain basement level. But I, I do think that they understand fundamentally that they need a hater like um, to get to make this work uh, the way that they like to run things. And they have Devin Williams, and he's very very good, but he has shown some issues. Not uh, a closer mentality is stupid, but Devin Williams has some issues with pressure. Let's just say that. I think we cannot demonstrably show that to be the case. And um, they need they need a couple of big, reliable relievers to make this happen. So they'll be shopping for one if they can get one. Um, but it's it's not as easy as just going out and paying some, you know, 60-save closer out there that those guys, first of all, don't really exist, aren't available, and saves are stupid and random. Um, but they'll, they'll vet everybody who's a good reliever out uh, you know, out there on the free agent market and bring in a a couple good candidates. I suspect that they'll, I think they know that they need like a more sure thing than just what they did at the trade deadline um, with the spaghetti philosophy. They need at least one. They'll still do the spaghetti philosophy, but they got, they got a hole they have to fix. So I think that they'll probably do that. I don't think they'll trade. Um, I I think that this will be more of a going to the store. Uh, I feel like trading for relievers is something you do at the deadline to try and just get a little more depth. Um, when the offseason starts, there's a lot of guys available. You can go after them without giving up prospect depth at that point and just pay cash. So I disagree a little bit on that, but I'll come back to that. All right. So first off, I think that what they have here is actually kind of the bones of a pretty decent unit here, especially in terms of – so if you look at what they did this year, Paul and I were talking about this before we started. It is absolutely insane. Uh, the Brewers this year – if you look at a, a, a fan graph stat called meltdowns and shutdowns for relievers, <laughs> yes. um, the Brewers were fifth this year in meltdowns in, in terms of uh, reliever performances that melted down and caused the team to really uh, suffer behind Boston, Miami, Tampa and Texas. Tampa being on there is very interesting. Um And so you had the Brewers being fifth in meltdowns. I don't know if they picked up an extra one today. I'm not exactly sure what the parameters on this are, but I think we kind of generally know, okay, when a reliever has a meltdown, what that looks like. And then a shutdown, the converse of that, obviously, is, you know, when a guy comes in and uh, completely closes the door and it doesn't have to be to end a game. And it isn't because there's the Brewers actually were second in shutdowns behind Tampa here with uh, 182. So this is sort of a heaven and hell situation. Like they were shutting the door a lot. And a lot of that obviously came from Williams and Hader. Hader before he went completely uh, awful in, in July. And Williams pretty much all year, you know, for the most part, was pretty good for shutdowns kind of uh, most of the time. Uh, vast majority of the time, really. So that all kind of just works and is is fine. And I think that if you look at like the other things, the bo- the Brewers bullpen this year is going to be almost exactly league average in terms of ERA. So like they don't have a huge bullpen depth problem either. And I think if you look up and down at this group of guys here, you have um, I think Hobie Milner is likely to come back. I think that Brad Boxberger's option, I originally thought they wouldn't pick that up. I think probably now they do just because I think they do. Yeah, they like him because they can throw him like three days in a row and he doesn't really have a problem with that. Yep. And that's that's a very valuable thing to be able to do. I think Trevor Gott comes back and I think that's good. I, I'm all for that. He's, he's fine. Yeah. And then you have this group of guys who all have options. All of them now have, I think 
two to three options left, and that's Peter Strzelecki, Jake Cousins, and Justin Topa. And all three of those guys sort of give you like bullpen depth, guys you, you can rotate between AAA and the majors and potentially get a plus reliever out of those guys. From that whole group that I just mentioned, and then I think Suter comes back for his final year uh, uh, next year as well. So you've got basically the makings of, of a bullpen there. What you really need is another late inning stud. Yeah, you do. And Because the average guys are fine until you run into a well above average part mm-hmm. of the lineup and you've already used Devin. Yeah. So I think that that's fine. But I differ in you. I don't think you're going to the market for this first off, because like the only guy that I think is like a name brand stud on the market is uh, Roldis Chapman and keep him the hell off my team, please. No, no. Yeah. Don't want that. So like there's there's that part of it. But also just because of the way the Brewers do things, I think that it is much more likely to come from a trade where they trade not for an established reliever who has like a long running reputation, but a guy who is maybe on the cusp, maybe a 23, 24-year-old. And maybe when they make this trade, it's a, it's a piece of something else that they're doing. And not a lot of attention gets paid to it. And then we look up in you know July next year, and this guy is one of the best relievers on the team. So I, I can't tell you who that is. I can't tell you like who that, that target should be. But I have a feeling more than likely that that's where it's going to come from as opposed to a guy with an established reputation because when you pay for established reputation and relievers um it, that's usually a way to lose money it just is that's generally how that works on so. the one hand yes on the other hand so your scenario is fine where they trade for somebody who's up and coming that people haven't realized yet that's risky too though because mm-hmm. you are projecting um mm-hmm. and my other problem is that, so if you're targeting so if they get a throw in that yay that's fine um they're not great at targeting um relief pitchers in trade uh, and a lot of that's deadline driven and people at the deadline um when you when you deal for relievers at the deadline you do have a problem you have an asymmetrical information problem where the other team knows problems with the reliever and you don't and it makes it difficult and uh, the Brewers struck out this last go round and haven't really traded for a good reliever since Pomerantz and only then just him. Um, and um, that can be tricky uh, when people are on the free agent markets. You at least have the benefit of that pitcher choosing and not the team, you know, holding some piece of information. Mm-hmm. There is some benefit to doing that. And I still won't be surprised if they go that route. Uh, it's at least to get somebody halfway decent. Uh, it might not. I don't want to roll this Chapman either. I hate roll this Chapman, but um, I I still think they'll buy somebody that you know the name of. Yeah. Oh, and I did forget an important piece here because I think he does come back, and I think people are going to groan when I say this um, because he's had bad moments for this team, and he's been part of so many of these bad moments that they've had in the second half. But I still think he's overall a really really good pitcher in a lot of ways, and that's Matt Bush. I think he does come back. They have him under control. I think next year he'd be going into arbitration for the first year, actually, as a 37-year-old. So that's bizarre. But Yeah, I'd be more excited about him if he wasn't 37. And uh, eh, Relievers, though, have, you know, those guys pitch effectively into their 40s all the time. So I, I suppose, yeah. He, it's not like his... So Matt Bush is a, a spaghetti guy, but his resume is not super clean either. He was doing fairly well with Texas this season before they acquired him. 
but he's got some warts before that, um, even as a pitcher uh, post coming back. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he is also a speculative at this point. He is not a, uh, any kind of sure thing to be anything other than trash at this point. Yeah, I mean, and but he's also a very low cost. You he could, yes, I can't I imagine. Very deep, yes, true. You're, yeah, you're not going to be paying that much to keep him. And also, if you do need to release him, if this is a thing that you need to just move on from, I don't think it's a huge like sunk cost problem because it's probably going to be under $2 million. Yeah. So you're going to be looking at a real low amount of money. But the thing that you like about Matt Bush is – Looking at his whip for the full season this year between Milwaukee and Texas, it's one point oh four. It's it is it's good, and that's a good whip. You you like it when it's the the first number after the one is a zero. You like it even better when the first number is a zero. But you like it pretty good when that first number is a zero. It's it's generally a pretty good pitcher, and uh, he doesn't give up a lot of hits. And his his strikeout to walk ratios have been really really good. Like even at the low ebb of that with Milwaukee, it's still three point five strikeouts to walks so you like to see that the problem is the home runs home runs hopefully a lot of home runs it would be it would be nice to know that they have some sort of a a thought process and plan on that but uh yeah well i'll just have to wait on that yep all right uh rounding out the patreon questions we have Corey uh, diedrich i need a team to root for in the postseason i can't say i've watched a lot of games other than the brewers so i don't know much about the al who are you rooting for in the postseason? So I tweeted out uh, last night late that one of the most underreported stories this year, one of the most underdiscussed stories all year, is the fact that the Cleveland Guardians have managed to uh, right now make the playoffs with the youngest roster in MLB. That in and of itself is a fairly rare accomplishment where you're, yep. you're making the playoffs with the youngest roster. But they did this, guys, by uh, bottoming out last year at 80 and 82. Go look at their past records. Go look at the Cleveland Guardians records over the last five, six years and look at the fact that they didn't even like we talk about the Brewers in terms of doing something really, you know, pretty special in that they completely tore things down in 2015. And by 2017, we're back above 500 and competing for a playoff spot into yeah. the last weekend. To make uh, this more clear, Ryan's point is a team from Cleveland, Ohio, um, <laughs> managed to do a complete rebuild uh, from a bottom of still a winning team to the youngest team in baseball and be in the playoffs uh, without any tanking or losing or anything of that that note. So that's worth paying attention to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's and good. unfortunately, the reason that uh, people aren't paying attention to it is because, you know, they traded away Lindor and they traded away other players who were making money and people got really mad about that and got really, you know, flustered about that. And yep. uh, now you look at like that Lindor trade and yes, it's working out well for the Mets. Like Lindor is having a very good season. He'll be a, a top 10 MVP finisher for sure. But they also got back like Andres Jimenez in that deal, who's been a six win player for Cleveland this year. So they did really, really, really well for themselves in some of these moves and frankly seem primed to just keep going. Like they have a really good young roster right now and a really good farm system still along with their normal complement of really high end, really good pitching prospects. Yep. I agree with uh, Cleveland is my pick as well, because you can also just think about Major League to yourself as you watch them, uh, because they kind of did that a little bit. <laughs> they didn't bottom out like that, but they have a bunch of young people that nobody, 
ground floor guys, ground floor here. Um, nobody knows the Cleveland players, but they are pretty loaded. So mm-hmm. uh, root for them. They're fun. Uh, I like Seattle, too, just because mm-hmm. it's nice to have a West Coast team, too. And they're also not a bunch of people you know for the most part, probably. Mitch Hanniger hanging around there. <laughs> but uh, they're they're fun. Um, they have uh, Jesse Winker we all hate, but uh, just leave that aside for a second because – um, they're, they have, have not made the playoffs in forever. Um, and if they could manage to beat the Yankees, it would be very nice. So root for that to happen. Hope, hope that I'm hoping that happens at some point. Um, Seattle deserves it. So, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I I'm definitely also on the Seattle. It's, you know, it's the young teams. It's whatever. Also, yep. another thing to watch for Cleveland is they are the team that is trying. That is, that is a few years ahead of the Brewers on this in terms of drafting and developing contact hitters and trying to develop up their power as yeah. they go. Um, Stephen Kwan is a perfect example of this. They drafted like an elite hitter, a guy who really puts bat to ball um, at a very high rate and are hoping that that develops and it, it, is sort of developing into you know a better hitter than maybe people thought initially just because he has such exceptional contact ability they're out in front on this and so we'd like to see it work in cleveland because if it works in cleveland then we gives us more hope for it working in milwaukee exactly all right some really quick twitter questions Mm -hmm. before we go on and get out of here first from kip do we really deserve to be in the postseason no Ryan deserves got nothing to do with it to quote Clint Eastwood from Unforgiven. <laughs> like, it, I mean, there's six spots. So if you can be the team that's in that spot, does Philadelphia deserve to be in the postseason? No. Also, no. So but that like, doesn't mean we should be in. No, but somebody is going to be in that spot. And it, you know, it might as well have been us. It's not going to be now because of, you know, gestures wildly at everything but it could have been and then it would have been fine like it still would have been undeserved though no we don't deserve to be in the postseason okay moving on to chet how does the crew improve their bats for next year will it be with a big fa free agent or just hope for it organically through the farm system yeah we already pretty much we kind of talked about this one already i do think probably be a mix yeah if you had to guess though Maybe I'm just letting my hopes get, run away. I think away. they'll get a bat. I do think they'll get a bat. I, I think do too. Just thinking about this as a front office person, uh, I think that you've been able to plausibly think about things like, okay, we get Yelich back, maybe. Maybe we have Adamas take a step forward instead of tread water a step back. I think we can bank on one of those things maybe happening. We can fill in the rest and go from there. And I think you can't do that anymore. Adamus might bounce back and still might take a step forward, but you can't, I think, count on Yelich. And um, so I think, I do think they'll bank that in their internal forecasts and actually go out and get somebody to actually smack the ball around. So, and yeah. I think they have the room to be able to do that. Yeah. I do too. Yeah. And th- I know we talk about them as cheap all the time, but they're not, they're really they're not, not always cheap. They do go out and spend to fix problems. So I, I think they'll fix this one. Yeah, right. they're they are right now running their highest payroll in franchise history mm-hmm. by ten million dollars. Like, say what you want about about all of that, but like, there are a lot of teams that look up at the Brewers in this respect and go, "I wish we could spend just like they do to try to get <laughs> over the hump." They, you know, the Clevelands of the world, honestly, Tampa Bay. They look at. Oakland in the past, like those teams look at uh, teams like Milwaukee and they go, man, if we just spent like that, I bet you we could win a World Series. So, yeah, it's always relative. It is. All right. Uh, Nils asks, 
Are the Brewers the Vikings of the National League Central? Um, uh, can I go first? Yeah. Kind of, yeah, because the Packers are the Cardinals of the NFC North. For sure. So, so yeah, they, they really kind of are. Um, there's, first of all, the Cubs don't really fit because there is no real big market. I mean, the Bears, I, I guess, are, but the Bears are their own thing. <laughs> um, and the, obviously the Packers... Packers are close to that. Packers kind of, or the Brewers kind of are the Vikings. They, they're they're well run, um, but they never seem to be able to get over the hump, and they're not quite in, like the Cardinals seem to always be able to just do this one extra thing or have this, you know, extra guy. And they have. I'm not going to compare the Packers to the Cardinals so much because eventually I'll start talking about um, the best fan St. Louis um, Twitter feed, and we don't need to go there. But yeah, they they really are kind of in that same vein. They're good but not great. They kind of always peter out at the you know just before you want them to. Uh, talent level versus the other team in the division, kind of the same. Yeah, it's a good comp. I, I'm I approve the comp. Yeah, it's not the best comp, but I can't think of a better one, so it's fine. I just I feel like almost the Bears would be a better. Comp. The, but the Vi- but just so you know, the Vikings are regarded as having one of the best analytics groups in, in the NFL. Okay. That- yeah. Yeah, so no, like too. the Brewers. Yeah, the and Brewers the, don't the, cop the to Packers, the Bears because the Bears are incompetent. So that doesn't. And the Packers are very much more like the Cardinals, where they are still a little old school in scouting and player development, but have a good mix in there and kind of make it all work. Yeah, no, I guess the, yeah, that's fine. I just the something about the Vikings, like I guess the the Vikings have never won the Super Bowl, and the Packers have never. Never, sorry, yeah. the the uh, the Brewers have never won the World Series, World so Series. I guess yeah. that does kind of work. I, it yeah, does. I guess that yeah, it's a it's a reasonably good comp. Yeah. Yep. It is. So uh, the very appropriately named Sour Apples, uh, Jim Bartholomew. Um, who who did? Uh, I think we're clean, so I'm editing your tweet. Uh, uh-huh. Who did a worse job because their head was already on the next gig? Mike Holmgren in 1998 or David Stearns in 2022. I'd vote Stearns mostly because Jerry Rice fumbled and they should have played at least one more game. So is he leaving and is he out the door already and punting? Um, No. So here's the thing about this. And this is like a thing that I was talking to Steve about this afternoon as we were watching the game. If David Stearns was really like out the door and had his head like already in the next gig, he wouldn't have done what he did at the deadline, which was to focus more on the future than on the present. Now, that doesn't mean he's staying. I actually would bet he isn't staying. But the fact that he wasn't just saying, well, screw it. If I know I'm leaving, what would his incentive be at that point if he knew he was leaving and he didn't care about what was going on with the future of this team? He wouldn't trade Josh Hader for, you know, what largely is going to amount to prospects in the long run here. He wouldn't make that move. That wouldn't be how you would do that. You would just say, oh, well, I might as well just throw whatever I have at the wall here. And he didn't do that. He still stayed more focused on the future, more invested in the overall process that he's established to this point than anything else. So I don't think that works. And I think that I I, I would have to know more about the specifics. I mean, I kind of remember some of the, the Holmgren era like were they absolutely did they go into salary cap hell in in 98 for the Not future really, no um, okay it, yeah it, it it was more um and honestly mike holmgren's a pro i don't think he was that out the door there are a couple of moves he could have made um 
that in retrospect you could say would have given them a better chance in the 97 Super Bowl um, and things like that. But like it's all hindsight, you know, and uh, I, I think it's overstated as well. Well, I mean, mostly they should have just won that 97 Super Bowl because they were by far the best team in football and should have just won that game and didn't because, you know, they they got Terrell Davis to death. So, so I forgot the guy's name, but um, because he's kind of a nobody, but they kept um, they kept a bad defensive lineman active versus a run stopping defensive lineman. And then Gabe Wilkins got hurt on like the fourth play of the game and they had to play the bad run stopping defensive lineman whose name uh, I'm not prepared because it's not football uh, for the whole <laughs> Super Bowl. But it, the, the main reason they got gashed by Davis as badly as they did is because they didn't make that one personnel decision. And then Wilkins getting hurt forced them to play uh, a player that they didn't want to be playing against a good run team. So, um, but I mean, I, had injuries not happened early, that probably wouldn't have mattered. So getting on home ground for it is, I think, a little bit overdoing it. And yeah, he is talking about the next season, the the Rice fumble year, the year that yeah, 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 yeah. Is, so it is it is the next year after that, but it, still it is. But and they were they were good. They 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 like Rice did fumble. They should have won that game. And they I think you could make a case turn it on for the playoffs at that point too. So. Yeah, but the the main point here is that if David Stearns really was focused on like his next gig, uh, then he would have behaved differently than he did at this deadline, and he didn't. So I think that we can safely say that that is not true. I agree with that. David's a pro. He's going to do right by where he is. Honestly, the the other big reason you can say that he didn't punt on this is because when you if you are a lame duck person and you just punt and don't do your job, um, it reflects poorly on you for your next job and your next job after that. Nobody wants to hire somebody who tanks the team that they were with before because eventually that person will be a lame duck in your organization, and you don't need them doing millions of dollars of damage to your organization on the way out. So um, that's just not what happened there. Yeah, yeah. The incentives for that are just not, yeah, it's not lined up that way. Now, Mm -hmm. question for you before we get out of here. All right. Is David Stearns the uh, president of baseball operations for the Milwaukee Brewers in the 2023 season? I don't think so. I agree with you. I think he's probably out. Um, I, I I think this is kind of a natural time to leave. Uh, I think they'll have kind of a lot of work. They're going to miss the playoffs. It's a good time to exit. If you want to set up like Matt Arnold, who already does a lot, but if you want to set up your people, this is a good time to take the fall too. And if you've got other gigs to do, uh, like I'm not sure the Mets will, are a thing, but there's lots of places that would happily have David Stearns, uh, some of them in New York. So I think he's probably. Yeah, that's the one I'm really wondering about. He seems like a perfect match for how the Yankees under Hal Steinbrenner want to operate, which is very uh, value conscious and very like they they will spend. They run big money, money ball like they're right. They just run up against the cap, essentially, like against the luxury tax. And Mm -hmm. if you have a guy who can create value with that budget, it's a good fit fit there. I think he fits really well. Yeah, I think that he would be an excellent fit there. And I think that, you know, the Mets maybe just don't need him. It would be interesting. And the funniest thing, too, I did get a question this weekend. Somebody asked me, like, is David like, is it going to be fired? Whatever. And I, I sort of I have to laugh at this because. If David Stearns would get fired, uh, you would instantly have like if he was a free agent open on the market right now, you would have a bidding war for him between some of the very big boys. I think the Yankees might say, hey, Brian, it's time for you to retire right now 
because David Stearns is available to them. I think that you would have this bidding war and David Stearns would get massive gobs, absolute piles of cash, probably like depending on where he goes and like what that looks like, he could quite easily surpass like what uh, what Andrew Friedman is getting in Los Angeles, which I think is almost 10 million a year. Like you could see him getting paid just an exorbitant amount of money. Yeah. And there being a true bidding war for him because he's that good. He is that good a general manager. Yeah, it's a down season, but um, he's a smart guy who knows how to run a baseball team. He actually did make quite a few good moves this year. Uh, Hunter Renfro is quite good. And with a better Christian Yelich, that would have made all the difference. So, you know, Mm -hmm. such is life. All right. Before we get on up out of here, we have some new patrons. Yes, we do. Uh, Welcome to Tom Haight. Uh, to KTM, uh, I, I didn't get more than that, so I just, KTM, welcome. And to uh, Derek Core, who stopped by and said hi to uh, Steve and I at the game today uh, for an <laughs> inning or two. Nice. Uh, stopped up and and, uh, and talked to us. So that was, uh, that was nice. So uh, good to talk to you today, Derek. Welcome to all of you. Tom asked a very good question on RAE last week as well for his uh, first question. So uh, always appreciate the new patrons. Uh, thanks, thanks all for joining. Uh, so, uh, before we go this week, we'd also like to ask you to leave a review and a rating for this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Mostly, I would like you to do that because I will read literally anything you write in the review if you give us five stars. Um, I'm going to start doing this for reporting as eligible as well. My problem with reporting as eligible is I get a couple feeds for reporting as eligible. But uh, if you if you do either one of them, citing our podcast. I'll start reading those too because it's fun and it does help us a lot. Costs you no money and uh, helps us advance up the charts so we get heard by more people. So uh, go and do that. Uh, while you're there, hit the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Pocket Casts or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, and uh, that'll do it for us this week. We'll be back next week uh, with you know more of a wrap up. And who knows? May- maybe magic will happen. Although. magic has not happened this year at all so probably not but we'll be back next week uh so thanks for listening and uh, we'll be back next week on milwaukee's tailgates all hail jim leonard from tiny tony wisconsin Let's go in three, two, one. This is episode 257 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right. That's why we need jams. Let's go in three, two, one. This is episode 257 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tail Network. (laughs) <laughs> what? You, want, you want me to read copy this week <laughs> just yeah do it <laughs> all right all right i'll do it i'll do it <sighs> all right i'm gonna start with hey everybody because i start every podcast with hey everybody and i can't talk otherwise uh, in three two one